Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. And I don't think we've had you guys on yet this season, maybe once. Not together. Not together, yeah. It's been a while. So let's go ahead and get it started. I'm going to go to Buck first. The quarterback position has been talked about over and over and over for North Carolina. We've done it a plenty on this podcast, but I hadn't really heard your take and your thoughts on it. And so I'll just ask bluntly, do you think Brandon Harris has to be the guy for North Carolina on September 2nd? Has to be. I, I wouldn't put it that way, but I do think that he'll end up with a job. Fedora has been very coy about the whole process. Fedora? And, yeah. Really? Coy? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's how he rolls, as we all know. <laughs> so it, he hasn't really had much to say except there's, quote, unquote, there's been no separation. But I'd be very surprised if, at the end of the day, Harris uh, doesn't emerge as the starting quarterback. In, in a bit of a change, we're getting some scrimmage reports now from the official website. And looking at those official websites, they report several things that the quarterbacks are doing and not doing. And in the reports that I've seen, the scrimmage reports, we've seen several occasions where Brandon Harris has completed passes of 40 and 50 yards like that. A couple to Jordan Cunningham, one to Roscoe Johnson, each uh, of those completions of over 40 yards. And I know scrimmage isn't a live game. But Fedora builds his entire offense around explosive plays. And I haven't seen those type of explosive plays in the passing game from the other contender that we hear the most about, which is Nathan Elliott. Uh, I think he's probably capable of completing some passes like that. But I don't think it's any secret that Brandon Harris has the strongest arm. I think if he gets his footwork correct, if he makes the proper adjustments, uh, moving from LSU's offense to Larry Fedora's offense, then I expect Brandon Harris to trot out with the ones. Well, is that how it's going to happen? We'll just have to wait and see. But if I was uh, had to place a bet on any of it, my money would be on Brandon Harris at this point. Jason, it's interesting when we're talking about explosive plays – it's sort of, I don't, I don't know. It's you got consistency. Everybody says Nathan Elliott consistency moves to chains, gets gets it done. Uh, but Harris may offer you more of the flash and the explosive plays. Well, Larry Fedora preaches both, right? When he talks about his offense, he he wants consistency, ball security, but he also knows that Carolina's offense has lived on explosive plays over the last five years that he's been in town. So how do you mesh that? I think they're both going to play. I think Harris ultimately starts. Um, but how do you mesh playing time with those two guys? And we've talked on the podcast before, Greg Ross and I, about that the others may get some time. But I think it's going to be the Elliott and Harris show, barring any unforeseen circumstances, your take on the process of getting there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is just getting familiarity with what 
what reads he needs to do and, and tying those reads to his feet. I mean, you, you said a mouthful in terms of getting his feet, you know, and he's talked about this in interviews about getting the footwork right in terms of the, tr- the transition between LSU's, I don't want to call it an offense, Wh- whatever they did down in Baton Rouge, it was not quite an offense, but uh, transitioning. It was offensive, though. It was offensive, yeah. So LSU's offensive versus uh, Larry Fedora's uh, offense, getting his feet right to do that. And a lot of that is just about knowing where he's supposed to throw the football and, and being in position to make those throws at the right timing. You hear a lot of quarterback coaches talk about tying your quarterback's feet to his reads, and, and that's a big part of it. And, and actually, the fact that we've seen some reports of big plays and scrimmages and so on out of him and they've they've been with his arm not with his legs is I think a good sign in that in that department I mean ideally you want him to be to be showing signs of 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 increasing consistency over the course of camp but we can't be there to assess that right now but the 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 fact that you know he's getting the the big plays with his arm I think is is precisely what you would hope to see at this at this stage of the game because the one thing we know is that he's a really good athlete, that he's going to threaten teams with his legs a little bit. The question is going to be, is he going to get comfortable to be able to create those splash plays that Fedora's offense has depended on? And when they've not had big plays, I mean, you go back to 2015, one of the problems that we broke down at Inside Carolina going back, I'm sorry, 2014, uh, was the offense was not creating big plays. Uh, there were a lot of, you know, the, the, the good plays that they were getting were five, six, seven, eight yards instead of 30, 40, 50 yards. And then when they started getting those splash plays the next couple of years, the offense exploded. And so, you know, you want to be, be as consistent as possible, but you've got to have splash plays in this, uh, in this era of college football. And the fact that he's showing that he can do that with his arm, I, I'm with Buck. I, I still expect him to ultimately be that guy. But again, I didn't expect at this point in camp to be hearing that he had won the starting job or that he was the front runner or anything like that. I mean, I, I think right now at this stage of camp, the fact that, you know, we're hearing about no separation and it's a great competition and all that is precisely what I would have expected, regardless of what they would have looked like in practice. So in that sense, you know, it's kind of par for the course. And it's also what you'd kind of expect as he gets, gets his feet wet. And, you know, I wouldn't expect him to be able to separate in the first couple of weeks. But really, weeks three and four, the weeks after the first scrimmage, the first scrimmage is when you get to really correct your mistakes. And when you get to see, oh, I didn't do that right. And, oh, you know, I need to do this this way instead of this way. That first scrimmage, you get to correct a lot of stuff. And it's the stuff that happens after the first scrimmage when you start to see, you know, you talk about in, uh, in, in PGA golf, you talk about, you know, you don't win a tournament on Thursday, but you can lose it sort of like that in the first scrimmage. You, you're not going to win a job in the first scrimmage, but you potentially can lose it. But it's really the time, that second and third scrimmage, that's moving day. That's Saturday in terms of you know, the golf tournament analogy. That's when you start to expect to see guys separating and, and getting into position to potentially win a golf tournament. And that's, that's the, the time that we're approaching now. And we, I, don't, I didn't expect to hear anything about any, about any separation to this point. Buck, I'm not skipping you, but I, I want to ask – you Jason a technical question I mean how important is the footwork that they're talking about that Harris has talked about he struggled with I mean why is that (laughs) yeah but but why why is it I understand when you're throwing the football you got to have good footwork 
but there's more to it in Fedora's offense. So just speak to that a little bit as to why those small, minute details are so important in Fedora's system. Well, I mean, even down, like if you're going to run a zone read play as a quarterback, you have to actually, you know, there's a mesh point between you and the, and the running back. And it's your job as a quarterback to make sure that your feet are in the right place so that when you stick that ball out and you're meshing with the quarterback or meshing with the running back, you're doing that in such a way that it's not going to cause a fumble. <laughs> right. So that's one. You better make sure that your footwork is right on that. You better make sure you're in the right spots in the running game. Otherwise, you're going to cause fumbles. So that's one. The other is really in the passing game. Fedora's offense, it, it, he expects the quarterback to get rid of the football a lot, uh, rid, rid of the football quickly, gen, generally speaking. Uh, some of the stuff they ran with Trubisky last year, you know, they, de- they those things developed a little bit longer than some of the traditional stuff they've run because they had a quarterback that could could, could throw every pro concept as he's already showing in NFL preseason. So, you know, they, they, there was a little bit, little bit different, but generally speaking, Fedora's concepts, he wants that ball out, out of there pretty quickly. And that means you'd better have your feet under you and you'd better anticipate properly where your throw is likely to go either here or here to have your feet position properly to be able to make an accurate throw and there's not a whole lot of quarterbacks in around that that can throw the football accurately without their without their feet in in proper position i mean all, I, we talked about this at uh or we i talked about this in the last one of the last videos i did uh looking at uh at surratt's footwork and what they were working on over the summer what he was working on over the summer trying to get more consistent in that in that area specifically to be able to throw consistently and, and quickly from the pocket so that they can get what they want out of the offense. So, you know, look at that video and you see all that you need to see in terms of if your feet aren't in the ground, you're, you know, in the right spot, in the right, you know, pointed in the right way and, you know, being able to deliver your power through your hips, you're not going to be able to put the ball on target. And that's the stuff it's imperative that, that Brandon Harris get that, get that right. Now, I, I think if anything, the discussion of, of footwork, my guess is it's probably a little overblown. Yes, it's a little different from what they're doing at LSU, but I, I have a hard time imagining that, especially given that he got here in the summer and all that, I have a hard time imagining that he's having a whole lot of trouble with it at this point. He, he doesn't have bad feet, and I think you know, it, it, it'll, it'll resolve itself by the, end of, by the end of camp. But we've talked about if you don't have a starter, you've got none. Or if you have two, you've got none, or something to that effect. If you don't have a starter, that's true. You don't have. You definitely don't have a starter. Look, man, it's been a long day, but but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm with you, Tommy. I'm with you. <laughs> so, uh, if both of them play, and they play, say equally, which I don't know if they will, but they may in the first couple games. Is that a bad thing for North Carolina? If that's how it transpired, I would say yes. But I don't think that's how it's going to transpire. In that first game against California, I expect they're going to name a starter prior to that game. And I expect whoever starts is going to get virtually all of the snaps unless the, you know, they get a 15, 20-point lead, and then I might expect whoever's number two to come in. I, I don't expect them to get cute with this quarterback situation. I think it's more likely that one guy will, you know, get tapped on the shoulder. You've been our best guy during the preseason. You're the guy we're going to roll with. You're our starter. 
And you have to understand that neither one of these quarterbacks, neither Elliott or Harris, have a great number of snaps in this system. Elliott played three games last year, threw nine passes, completed eight. Harris hadn't taken a snap in this system yet. And I don't think you can expect a quarterback to get comfortable and to find a rhythm in this offense if you're going to do something crazy like alternate a series, two or three series in the first half and, and two or three in the second half and give them each you know, an equal opportunity uh, to play. I think that would be a bad scenario if that's how it played out. I'd rather see one guy come in and then attempt to get that quarterback comfortable in the system, give him some easy throws first, get his confidence built, allow him to find a rhythm in the offense. One of the things that Harris has complained about at LSU is he was never able really to find a rhythm in that offense because they hardly ever threw it. So. If it's going to be Harris or Elliott, either one, I would expect that quarterback to get the line's share of snaps. And I don't I don't expect to see anything close to a two-quarterback system this year. Jason, you agree with that? Especially early. I, I think deep into the season, you got to run with one. But early, do you foresee any sort of thing like that? Or do you think Fedora and his staff are going to make a decision like Buck says and go with it? firmly from the start i think i think buck's right uh and i think partly because buck and i are in agreement that more than likely we're going to see brandon harris be that guy and i think especially if harris is that guy they're going to roll with him they're, they're going to put him out there and you know they're going to they're going to want him to get as many reps early in the season as possible to get comfortable i mean the last thing you want to do let's say you do start brandon harris and it's his first game against Cal and let's say let's say they they blow the doors off Cal let's say they go out there and just and and win by 35 I'm a, I would expect the starter to play pretty deep into the game because if it's Harris especially you've got to get that guy reps with live with live live bullets flying and you've got to prepare for Louisville on deck right I mean you, they're coming right up you got to prepare for for these things where that guy's got to get comfortable and even if it's Nathan Elliott well, you know, you got to make sure he's comfortable. Now, I do think if it's Elliot and if it was close and Harris is a guy, you know, they, they're just not sure if Harris is going to turn the corner. I wouldn't be surprised if it was if it was Elliot that won the job. I would expect Harris to get in there earlier. Let's say they let's say if they were up or, you know, to have a series or two, I, I think they'd still give him a couple looks just because the upside is is higher there. But I think it makes it moot if. If Harris is 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 going to be the guy, he's going to get dang near the entire game initially the, for the first few games until they feel like he's up and rolling. And then, you know, if they start blowing a team out, you know, you got your one double A's and all this, then you start to say, okay, well, maybe we should get another guy in there for, you know, for a few reps for the future just to make sure that we're not in real trouble if this guy goes down. But I really, I agree with Buck. I don't see them tinkering a whole lot with the quarterback position that's something you can do if you are comfortable so that that's something you can do if if you've got like a trubisky on the bench and you're going we better get that guy some reps just to see if he can maybe win this or if you've got a 
uh, a Marquise Williams at, at quarterback who uh, has already played, has, has already started six, seven games, you know, then you can start to tinker with that a little bit because those guys have played and those guys, you know, you've got, you've got some reasons to kind of mess with it. Otherwise, I, I just, I, I think they, they recognize the value of every in-game rep, not only for the quarterback, for, but for the starting offense to get comfortable and gel with that guy. I mean, you've got to, you've got to let that, let the, let the offense, it's a young offense and it's an offense that hasn't played much together. You've got to let those guys play deep into games initially, just so they're ready for conference play. Let's talk about a position that two people will definitely see a ton of time. And it's not something we've talked about a lot on these podcasts. And Buck, I'll start with you since you thought it worthy of discussion. And I agree with you is the tight end position. With Brandon Fritz and Tucker, Carolina has two different guys, but two very good guys that do do what they do very well. Your take on the, probably the strength of the offense, especially now as we've gotten into camp with injuries, the tight end position. You know, they, they can do some really interesting stuff with the tight end position. And I, I think in general, there has been more development at the tight end position in recent years than there was in typical spread offenses that we're used to seeing. Several teams that are out there now that have gotten away from not using a tight end. And it's it's kind of strange to see it develop in a lot of spread offenses. You know, we're always used to, and we were always used to growing up, Jason and Tommy, uh, a tight end in every offense, typically attached, typically mostly a blocker, sometimes a pass catcher. It's, you know, been in recent years in the NFL where we've seen the, the Jimmy Grahams and the, uh, Gronkowski's and and such come along and and become real uh, almost primary targets in their offenses. But now I think there's been a development underway to incorporate tight ends more in spread offenses, and they can do it in several different ways. And take the two tight end situation. You know, they could play with one tight end in the slot, and my guess that would be Fritz. And another tight end attached, uh, Tucker, or they could play Tucker and as an H-back, uh, as sort of a, in a two-back set, and allow him to be uh, a lead blocker at times. And there's so many different variations on that theme that they can use to create some mismatches with a defense. Uh, defenses in response to spread offenses have tried to go with a lot of speed in their base defense. Everybody always wants speed, but in response to spread offenses where you're relying on these guys at the linebacker and safety positions to match up uh, in space with guys, those positions have tended to get a little bit lighter, a little bit trending, a little bit more towards coverage expertise. And if you've got a couple of bruisers in there, uh, and Jake Vargas could probably get some playing time in in that Tucker role attached or 
uh, in, as an H-back. Then all of a sudden, now you've got a, a guy like Tucker who's 6'2", 250 or so, matched up against a 6'1", or 6'2", 210, or 215-pound linebacker at times. So he's going to have a physical mismatch against that guy in his, you know, as a receiver. And also, not, not to as mention a as a blocker, <laughs> right? Not to mention as a blocker, right? So, you know, some of these teams that have an outside linebacker that's a Sam that's, you know, 6'2, 220, or 6'1, 215, what have you. And all of a sudden now he's got, you know, 6'2, 250, Carl Tucker bearing down on him. It's, it's not going to be easy for that guy to, to handle Tucker or Vargas in that situation. So there are a variety of ways, and Jason could probably talk more about this than I can, but there, there's just so many ways that you can get creative when you have two, three, four different guys that you could put on the field in two tight end sets and, and switch things up from your typical, what has often either been either four or three receiver sets. So it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize those tight ends because it's certainly one of the strengths of the offense, both in talent they recruited very well there and in experience. Both Fritz and Tucker and to some extent Vargas all have, you know, this won't be their first rodeo when they go out there and play. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out this year and how they use those guys. Jason, you're up. Yeah, I, I, I'm – there's you not cannot, a lot to say. You cannot continue to agree with Buck on everything, though I will agree that he is probably right on this position. Yeah, I, I mean, the fact is, if I were a college coach right now, uh, I, I would be running, I, and I would have been running uh, mostly spread stuff, you know, spread spread formation stuff, you know, going back into the 90s. I mean, heck, when I was in high school, I was diagramming spread spread offense stuff and showing it to classmates and so on and so on and going why why doesn't anybody do this stuff and you know five six years later that became what everybody did and I'm like man I was a little young on that but I would have been doing that but now you know what I'd be doing I'd be running a lot of those spread things a lot of those spread principles but trying to recruit a bunch of tight ends a bunch of those six four two thirty two forty type guys that I can flex out that I can put in and attach you know, some of those guys that are even a little bigger, like Tucker, and see what I can do with them because, you know, you got to the, the aim of the game is to zig while everybody else is zagging, right? And like Buck said, all these defenses have been getting a little lighter in the butt and a little quicker. You know, move, you know, move, it, it's, the, it's the old Miami type thing where you take the guy that would have been a corner and you make him a safety, you take the safety and make him a linebacker. Well, you know what I'm doing in response to that? I'm recruiting the best jumbo athletes I can, and I'm sticking them out there at tight end and moving them out and flexing them out at receiver and all this. And I'm saying, you go ahead and come downhill and try to stop us when we, lo- when we decide to run the ball and this guy's on your butt as a, uh, as a blocker. Oh, and good luck blocking or good luck uh, uh, covering this guy one on one with your with your little guy, with your uh, little coverage guy who who you know we can just throw it up to this guy. So I, I think in that sense, whether intentionally, which I suspect it was, or by accident, Carolina's in precisely that position. I think, I think they, they uh, more than likely saw what was coming on, on some of this and 
you know, tried to get some of that flexibility. The other thing it does is it gives you formation flexibility. You can go out there with the same personnel, run four wide receivers effectively, or, you know, three wide receivers, one, one attached tight end and spread a team out and, and throw the football or even run it out of that. And then without any warning, without changing anything, all of a sudden you're in a bigger, uh, in a jumbo package, you're in the I formation or an H back formation or two attached or whatever. And, and the defense doesn't have time to, to adjust to that. And that's especially true if you line up that, that big tight end out wide and you put a faster wide receiver in the slot. That can cause real problems for teams. And, you know, the, the Patriots really did this, really were, they pioneered a lot of this back in, uh, you know, 09 or what, 2010, 2011, back with uh, Aaron Hernandez and, and Gronkowski both, right? When they had those guys together and they were flexing Hernandez all over the field. That's when I think a lot of these coordinators started looking around and going, huh, if we could find guys like that, which good luck, then you can give defenses a whole lot more trouble in terms of personnel. How do I match up with that guy? Because I don't know whether he's going to line up as a big wide receiver or whether he's going to line up as a fullback. And that's going to matter whether or not I want to be a nickel or whether I want to be in a bigger defensive personnel. So that gives them some flexibility to be able to, to run different types of things back to back, especially in the no huddle while taking advantage of personnel that's advantageous for what they want to do. And you can motion with it as well and, you know, give them one look at the pre-snap, you know, look, and then motion out of it and it changes everything, right? So, uh, yeah, it gives them a great deal of flexibility and I'll be curious, very curious to see how, how they utilize those guys. Something to watch as camp goes on and as the season gets started, let's talk about defense and we're cramming a lot into this podcast, but... <laughs> Staples, you've got a pretty in-depth article on the website now, and if our listeners haven't checked it out, you need to um, breaking down NC State game film and Carolina's defense versus the Wolfpack in Keenan Stadium last year. And a lot of people want Carolina to be more aggressive. And Papuchas has said that he'd like to be more aggressive, but you have to do it with a purpose. Your take on that, your take on your article, I mean, the facts are the facts. (laughs) <laughs> and when they were aggressive against NC State, they got torched. Your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the main the main thing. First of all, you know, obviously, it takes a little bit of effort. That that one uh, took me a little bit of time to put together to to because uh, you have to you know go back and pause and repause and all that to make sure that you're that you're evaluating things as as best as possible. But yeah, you're right. When they brought pressure, they they generally got torched uh, with a couple exceptions, and that that should serve as a little bit of a of a caution about you know hearing well you know hey they're going to be more aggressive this year oh man defense is just going to be so much better because they're going to be more aggressive they just weren't aggressive last year and you know I always come back to yeah coaches sometimes don't make the right calls but these guys generally know what they have and if you see a coach that's hesitant to bring a lot of pressure to bring a lot of blitzes and so on usually that's because he's got some some background there in terms of what he's seen in scrimmages in terms of what you know he's got in terms of results of games and all this to go when we do this it doesn't turn out all that well except for when we do it situationally and that's what that's the way it was last year I I mean they they were they were aware that they weren't able to create a whole lot of havoc so that's that's the first thing is that just changing scheme 
which I don't think they're going to change a whole lot schematically this year. I think they're going to basically be running more or less the same defense they did last year. But changing scheme is not going to fix things. Scheme doesn't, doesn't generally win games. It's players that win games. The thing that should be encouraging for Carolina fans is that this is the, this is the best group of defensive linemen and the deepest group of defensive linemen that Fedora has had in ever. at least five years and probably ever. I mean, I, I think this is, this is the best group going back to Butch Davis's group. Now, it's not as good as any of the, of the, of the defensive line groups that Davis had. But I'd say this is at least as good and, and certainly deeper than any group that Fedora's had. What that means is, especially when you look at the guys they have at end, is if they can stay healthy at all, they should be able to produce pressure even with four. And then if you can produce pressure with four, bringing that fifth guy really makes a difference. Now you can really produce produce some havoc. It's one of those things like if you can't produce pressure with four, bringing five probably doesn't produce a whole lot more pressure because they can just take that extra lineman they're not having to use and just use it to block that guy. But if they have to use five to block your four and you're able to still get some pressure, now you can really hurt them by, by bringing that extra guy. So, you know, it's the, to the, the, the one who has more will be given principle, right? So that's where the encouragement is, is I think this defense up front is better positioned to create havoc, both, both against the run and against the pass because of the, the depth, the personnel, the, 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 the types of guys that they have, and the experience in the system that they've got from the front line guys. Those guys now, when you're playing a, a, a freshman or a, a true sophomore on the defensive line against guys who've been in, who, who are, you know, juniors and seniors, redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, that, that's a really, really big, I think people forget how big a difference that is. People forget what, what a difference it is physically between 18 and 19 and 19 and 22. That's a huge difference. And those up extra years, that extra year that they got from last year to this year, this group has matured a good bit. And I think they'll be able, I mean, Papuch has talked about bringing pressure for a purpose. And, you know, you don't just blitz to blitz, but if you've got situations and if you've got the personnel to be able to do it, then you can start to start to play around with that. I think this is the next step in the evolution of what Gene Chiswick was building toward all along. And he's not going to be here to implement it, but up front, they should be able to start doing the sorts of things that Chiswick did at Texas and at Auburn and so on when he had the defensive pieces up front to do it. And Carolina just didn't last year. They didn't have those pieces. They were too young. They were banged up. They were hurt. You know, they, were, they just didn't have the pieces. The only concern now is, you know, are they going to be quite as good? Are they going to be quite good enough in the back seven to, to be able to do that and, and not give up plays? And I think they've got some players back there too. So I think there's good reason to think that this defense should be better, a good bit better, particularly against the run than last year, not because of a schematic change, but because when they blitz, I expect it to be more successful. But we've heard that last part. Um, having followed Carolina football for a long, long time, this is always the year they're going to be better on defense. <laughs> so, Buck, your take as to why that's going to be true this year. Well, uh, the question that everybody, you know, 
the theme that everybody has forwarded uh, in the offseason is that Papuchas is going to be more aggressive. But as Jason was talking about, that aggression can take a couple of different forms. If you go from having two defensive ends that are in the 270, 275 range and maybe not the swiftest human beings on the planet, (laughs) and you replace those guys with other players that are in the 245, 250 range with a little bit more speed and agility, then all of a sudden that's going to look more aggressive or should, right? Because, you know, those guys are going to be able, hopefully, to not get hung up. And and the thing that, and I don't know if hung up is the right word, but over the last two, three years, going back uh, a little ways, the thing that our defensive ends have not been able to do is finish plays. That's right. They quite often, we've seen it against good competition and not so good competition. We've seen North Carolina's defensive ends beat their man and have a bead on the quarterback, but not be able to get there in order to affect affect the play. Uh, they, They just... It took too long to uh, get into the offensive backfield. And then once they got there, it took too long to run the quarterback down or get to him and finish the play. The, the thing that might make this defense better is having defensive ends that can finish. They get into the, the backfield sooner and they get to the, quarterback quicker and if you got guys that can do that on a consistent basis and Jason was alluding to you know getting a good rush for four players that's every defensive coordinator's wet dream (laughs) you know that's what they want if every defensive coordinator if he could just draw up the defense that he wanted he'd probably never blitz if he could get enough pressure out of with his front four and you know, I suspect that's what we're going to see a lot out of Papuchas. But when we see it, it may look more aggressive, right? It will look more aggressive if you've got guys in the offensive backfield more frequently. Uh, whether they're rushing four or rushing seven, it's going to look more aggressive if they're getting into the backfield. Yep. So. And- and, and that's that's what Chiswick's one-gap scheme up front is designed to do. I mean, he's trying to turn those guys loose to let them get penetration. But if you don't have the guys who can do that, it's not going to look all that aggressive. As the rest of the defense, you know, I I think the linebackers will be solid. That All of them are back. They didn't yeah, lose the singer suck scholarship linebacker. They should be fine there. And they've got some young talent on that in the linebacker core that, may be better than the guys in front of them. Dominic Ross and uh, Jonathan Sutton, I think those those are actually, you're looking at all ACC types of uh, linebackers, which we hadn't seen a lot of in the last several years. And that, that's not, and both of those guys are backups. So 
I think they're solid and got some good depth at the linebacker spot. They got the anchors in the defensive backfield and Stewart Miles. Dorn is going to be a really good player, and I think we'll see more his name called a lot more often this year. And I, I think he may be one of the surprises in the ACC this year. We'll see. But you, you know, Jason's talked about it. We've all, we've talked about it before on the show that. If you're going to have a good defense, then you need a good player, at least one good player at every level of the defense. And, you know, I think they've got that, certainly have that in the secondary with Stewart. I think they have that at the linebacker position in, in Smith, at least. And it remains to be seen who is going to be the guy in the uh, – on the defensive line, that can be that guy. That can be that. The difference elite, maker. You difference have to have maker. a difference maker at all three levels. And I'm not quite convinced that they have one at linebacker. I think they might have two in the secondary. But we'll, we'll see about that, though. That's, yes. That, but I, I think they might, they might wind up with two in the secondary. And, you know, I think there's a good chance that, that one develops up front. And, you know, the thing is, if you've got four really good players up front, on the field at once, then not having a difference maker can somewhat be offset by the quality of those four. But, you know, ideally you have more than one difference maker. I mean, that's, you know, you look at Clemson last year and they had three or four difference makers on, on the defensive line alone. And, you know, that, that's, that's really where you're, where you're targeting. That's where you're trying to get to. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So in 30 seconds, tell me one thing that each of you will be looking for paying attention to the rest of the camp. Jason, go. Uh, wide receiver position. I want to see what guys wind up moving up a little bit and, and who's getting the buzz there. I still think that some of the most talented guys, the guys that I expect by the end of the season to potentially be the, the, the guys that have uh, moved up the depth chart and all that are, are, not, are not quite up there yet, maybe not uh, as consistent as they need to be. And I'm wanting to see if, if uh, a couple of those young guys are going to develop and step up and take some reps and, and become, uh, become a threat. Buck, your turn. I'm going with the other unknown on the offense, aside from quarterback, which is running back. I think that they're going to need one or two guys to really emerge this year. Fedora's offense is not a Mike Leach, we're going to throw it 60 times a game. He likes to have balance in his offense, running and throwing the ball. And I'm going to be real interested to see who seizes the day there in the backfield. I, I think it's going to be Michael Carter. He's had some problems staying healthy through practices dating back to the spring. So we'll just have to see how that goes, but you know, they're going to need somebody or a couple of somebodies to emerge in that, uh, at the running back position. I agree with both of you. It's been a, a good show. I, I can't wait for us to get into our in season shows where we have our little previews and predictions. Cause we need to start putting some wagers on the predictions because Staples would have taken us clean last year, but but this year it's going to be different. Uh, it'd yeah, be yeah. fun. Either it's way. too bad I didn't bet on this college football playoff this last year. If only gambling were legal, I'd be a richer man. Yeah, absolutely. My, or, my plan, Tommy, is to always have Jason go first and then just agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> just like tonight. Well, you started off good on that. So. <laughs> Enjoyed talking to you guys. We'll talk to you again. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, always Tommy. Fun. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. 
your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.